Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa-Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. We are in Revelation chapter 14 this morning. I know, I know. But we're doing a grand total of two verses today, so we're slowing back down. Uh, we're, we're, our, our text is going to begin in verse 6, but we're going to get a running start at verse 1. Uh, just as a little pastoral tip, while some of you with uh, paper Bibles are, are flipping, uh, if you ever get stuck on a passage, uh, sometimes the best thing you can do is get a running start to it. So if you have no idea what a verse is saying, just start a few verses earlier and run to it. And a lot of times you'll have enough momentum to hop over it. So we're... Verse 6 and 7 is, is wonderful, but I, I believe in its context, um, it will help us here. So, uh, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like a sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no, well, no lie was found, for they are blameless. So, after all the chaos and evil of chapters 12 and 13, God has shown us that He has not lost control. You ever find yourself in the middle of hell on earth and go, God, <laughs> you say you're on the throne. I'd like to feel that right now. <clears throat> well, God has given us a little window that he indeed has not lost control, even when things seem to be going south. Uh, the Messiah, Jesus, is still ruling and reigning on Mount Zion, the fortress city of David, with the 144,000 priestly army. And they're playing their harps and worship songs before God. God is cool as a cucumber. He is not threatened by anything Satan can throw at him or his church. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel. Gospel here in the Greek is evangelion. It's where we get that word evangelical from. You ever heard that term? Uh, the term evangelical used to mean anyone who listens to Billy Graham. That's what it meant back 50 years ago. And so out of curiosity, they asked Billy Graham, what does it mean to be an evangelical? And he goes, I have no idea, but if you figure it out, I'd like to know. Uh, what the word means in Greek, it, it means the good news. So really, an evangelical is anyone who believes in the good news, right? The hope, ideally, 
Well, that's a pretty broad spectrum there, so you probably don't want to label yourself evangelical. It's a little tricky there. Uh, but it's the evangelion, the word good news. Verse 6, let's keep reading. <clears throat> that I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal good news, evangelion, to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. So God sends a messenger to fly overhead to proclaim the gospel, the, the good news to who? To everyone. To, to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. So in the midst of all this evil, God sends a, a, an angel, that word angel in, in Greek, angelos, it just means messenger. We saw that the pastors of the churches were angeloses, they were messengers. Um, and here we, we have some sort of messenger. Maybe it's an angel flying directly overhead, uh, proclaiming the gospel to all people, the good news to all people. And the contents of this message, the contents of this eternal gospel proclamation is described in verse 7. Let's read it. <clears throat> and he said with a loud voice. He's not whispering the good news. He says with a loud voice, so loud meaning it cannot be drowned out. He said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. When I sat down to study chapter 14, I had no idea how much these two verses would hit me. Uh, and by the time I got done writing away these two verses, our time was filled up and then some. So that's today's text. There are five things I want us to see. And believe me, there were a lot more we could have done, but we're going to do five. <clears throat> First, forgiveness. As we think about the evil that will be abundant in the end times, after the whole world has rejected God, after the whole world has fallen to the beast. Remember, the Antichrist and the false prophet have full reign on the earth in these last days. They are in control of the monetary system. They're in control of, conceivably, if, if we maybe can give ourselves a little rope here, of health care, of retirement, of... All of these, they are in charge. And if either you partake in the system of the beast or you're killed. And the whole world's going to participate in this. And they're going to drag Christians to court and they're going to be killed. This is what is, uh, is stewing, abounding in these end days. After they've murdered innumerable amount of Christians, we see that heaven is filled with people who have been brutally murdered. Surely we have to recognize God's goodness here. God is still giving the world a chance to be saved. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and notice that this angel is not appearing to some people, but all people. The concentration camp guards. The police who arrested believers. The news reporters slandering the church who make a living lying day and night. God is offering all of them salvation after their multitudinous iniquities. Isn't this so like our God? 
(laughs) We sin and sin and sin. We're experts at it, if we're honest. We sin and sin and sin, and yet God's God's table is still open to us. His mercy is available to us. Still, he is so quick to forgive us. Our God is a forgiver. (laughs) Even in Revelation, where we have blood and battles and earthquakes and famine, and this is when, like, boy, Jesus is pretty angry in this book. Even after all the blood is as high as a horse's bridle, there's going to be so much blood in this chapter, there's going to be rivers of blood. Even in the midst of all of this death and chaos and evil and perversion, God's desire is always to see sinners saved. He doesn't desire, it says, that any should perish. And what a word to us, his messengers now, that even the most crazy-eyed, face-distorted people we know in our system. You ever talk to someone and they got crazy eyes? Like, this person's nuts. <laughs> and I'm noticing there's a lot more of them out there recently. <clears throat> and you're talking, you're, they're talking, you go, this person's crazy. Even those people need the gospel. Did you deserve it? <laughs> of course not. Well, neither do they. But God's desire is that they hear it. And guess what? You are his messengers. You are the one to bring it to the crazy-eyed, distorted-faced people. It's your job. It's your honor and privilege. Like I started when I prayed that Spurgeon sermon. If God has made us his servants, why would we stoop to be kings? There is no higher honor than to share the gospel to be his messenger. Secondly, fear. Think of the contents of this message. I like to think of it as a sermonette. It's really a short little teaching, isn't it? Um, Listen to this. Fear God, one, and give him glory, two, because the hour of his judgment, three, has come and worship him, four, who made heaven and earth and sea and the springs of water. Fear, glory, judgment, and worship. There's the contents Uh, of this good news. But isn't that so interesting that God calls that good news? Isn't that interesting that's what's considered the gospel? (laughs) You know, I, I don't think most people think about worshiping God before judgment comes as the good news. But according to God, it is. And if we think about it, this makes sense, right? Like, we want to be consistent, don't we? If the Bible says something in chapter, or or, or in book A, and it says something in book Z, we want to make sure we're not pitting them against each other. We want them to work together in harmony. We want to be consistent to the word of God. Amen? Okay, so if we can think about this message and then think back to Jesus' preaching ministry. Jesus began his preaching ministry with a message of repent. Some of the first recorded words of Jesus' preaching ministry is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So please hear me. There is no gospel, there is no good news until there is bad news. 
The end times gospel message in chapter 14 begins with fear of the Lord. And why? Why is it here? Why does Jesus start his ministry off with repent or else, essentially? Why does John the Baptist say that? Repent, get yourselves right, get baptized or else. And remember the Pharisees came out in, to, to them out in the wilderness. He says, who warned you, you brood of vipers of the wrath to come? He wanted them to stay in Jerusalem and get burned. That's the message. That's the good news. Well, why is it this way? And, and the answer is because those who know God know that God is good. And because God is good, he is just. What happens if someone violated you in the most horrific way possible? And you brought them to court. And the court says, we all just need to love one another. Forgiven. Would you go, oh, he's so right. She's so right. No. You would say, injustice. This is cruel. This is evil. Everyone who reads the Bible must know that God is good. And because God is good, he is just. And because God is just, judgment is coming for sinners. And so before you can even begin to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you first have to recognize that you need saving. This is why when you have a church that talks about the goodness of Jesus, that talks about the love of Jesus, that's great, right? But it never gets to repentance or God's holiness or hell. <laughs> well, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, tell that to Jesus who talked about it more than anybody. Right. Or sin or, or the blood. They have not given Evangelion. They have not given the good news because they're only giving part of the news. And part of the news is deception. There are so many pastors that say they want to give a message of positivity and pick people up and they don't want to be negative. And on the surface, doesn't that sound great? Like, I want to... Just the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. I would love to leave church every Sunday. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, right? Sounds great. I'm going to go eat a half a cow today or whatever. Because, you know, positivity is great. And the world could use more positivity. There are so many people that are, oh, every time you talk to them, their face is melting from sadness. We need more positivity. But we need to be crystal clear here. A bloodless Christian message is a Christless message. And according to the Bible, a conversion without repentance is a false conversion. If someone says, yes, I believe the gospel, and they leave unchanged, they have not been converted, according to the Bible. There is no good news until there is the bad news that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you better fall on your face in fear or else. And don't get me wrong. Again, I'm all in for positivity. What was our first point? It was all about forgiveness and God pursues us. I'm all for positivity. But Jesus came to die for sinners. And if we will be saved, we must acknowledge that. So I was reflecting on this and John chapter 6 came to mind. In John 6, it's funny, the chosen, uh, the, the, the new episodes just were in this portion of scripture. Jesus feeds the 5,000. And the crowds would go wild. They love Jesus 
for feeding them. And then Jesus, he walks on water and the crowd ends up fighting and they're like, how'd you get here so fast, you know? And he walks on water and when they found him, they were all ready for more fish and bread. They wanted more feeding of the 5,000 miracles. And Jesus, instead of going, okay, I'm going to feed you, continue to listen to me. He basically pulls out a shotgun and just starts blasting the crowd. Listen to this. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has sent, set his seal. The, the people come to Jesus because he filled their belly. And Jesus doesn't like that. And so, in order to drive away the superficial believers, Jesus gives a really difficult sermon. If you want any homework, go read John 6 later today. He's calling people, they're from the devil and you need to die. And the crowd is like, oh man, I want the fish and loaves guy, you know. And they start leaving and by the thousands. And then eventually the disciples were like, ow, oh, this is Jesus. You got to like, you know, chill out a little bit, you know, and. And he says, what, are you going to leave too? And they go, where are we going to go? Uh, but but the, the point here is that the crowds in John 6 were following Jesus only because he was the Lord of bread. Yeah. This is the prosperity gospel. Yeah. The multitude believed that if they followed Jesus, he would give them their best life now. He would fill their bellies. He would help them prosper. And Jesus rebukes them for it. He drives them away. Because Jesus did not come to be Lord of bread. He came to be Lord of our lives. Lord of of our souls. He came to save sinners. Not make sure we were fat and happy. You see, if we we make the good news of Jesus Christ only out of bread or the walking on water or good vibrations, I'm thinking of that Beach Boys song. If we start to believe in Jesus as only the Lord of bread and prosperity and never get to our need for repentance and his holiness and his omniscience and his divinity its Lord over our lives, then we are not accepting the true eternal gospel. You cannot be right with God and be wrong about his gospel. It does not work that way. If you are wrong about the gospel, the good news, you are wrong in a thousand other places. Jesus drove these prosperity, positivity-only people away because they really didn't want him. But they wanted the things that he could give them. And this was not love. This was wrong. And yes, yes, yes. In case you're confused, God is good. God is a giver. God is love and merciful and gracious. And he's so patient with us. My God, he's so patient. But when we come to the Lord, we cannot and do not come to him as an equal. He's not a vending machine. (laughs) He's not a magic genie that you now possess and I want a promotion. I declare it, God. Oh, really? You're telling me what you're going to do? Okay. We 
We must come to him in fear, according to Revelation 14, throughout the Bible. We must come to him in our Father in reverence and holiness, as well as joy and love. We must worship God. What did Jesus say? There's coming a time when my people will worship me in both spirit and truth. And what is the truth? We must worship God in the way that he describes himself. That is the truth. Remember Pilate? Don't you know I have the authority to release you? Jesus looks at him. Any authority you have has been given to you by my Father in heaven. He's on the cross. If you truly are the Son of God, call yourself down. I could command, I could ask my Father to send a legion of angels right now. Truth is what, how God defines himself in Scripture. That is the God that we follow. Now thirdly, urgency. <clears throat> I want you to notice that verse 7 talks about the hour of judgment has come. This got me thinking a little bit. There are two realities that the church needs to hold on to at all times with regards to the timing of Jesus' return. And let's just time out. Did you know Jesus is coming back? Because he is. You know, in order to even be considered a believer in the first few hundred centuries, there's this thing called the Apostolic Confession, and then, of course, the Nicene Creed, and there are different versions of it. But from the earliest versions, in order to even be allowed into the church, you had to confess that Jesus was coming again. Jesus is going to return. It's clear as day in the Scriptures. And there is a sense that the church needs to always be building. We always need to be thinking long term as the church. Which is why, do you notice, go to the ends of the world and make disciples. Discipleship, if you've ever discipled somebody, is not an immediate gratification sort of a thing. It takes months and years and decades to see fruit sometimes. That's a long term play to make disciples, which is what we're supposed to do. Okay, we, we are to always be building and planting and, and harvesting and investing towards the future to raise up a new generation for when we are gone. So we need to be long-term thinkers and planners. There's a reason why when the pilgrims came over here, not long after the during the Puritan Reformation, they started to build universities. You don't build a university and start classes because you... you that, that's a multi-generational play. We need to start thinking long terms again, not just summer revivals and summer baptisms and uh, long term. But at the same time, Jesus, as he could return in a thousand years, he could also return today. And over and over and over again in the New Testament, the return of Jesus to judge the world is talked about like it could happen at any second. You know, there's this story from John Calvin. Apparently, he just worked, worked, worked like crazy. And he had all these disciples or these, you know, uh, people he was taking care of. And they said, you know, you're getting old, man. You've got to take a break. You're going to burn out. And, and he, he was writing. And he stopped writing. And he, he looked up at, his, at the young men who were with him. And he was teaching them. He said, do you expect my hands to be idle when the Lord returns? Huh. He thought during any moment God could return as he's preparing his sermons, as he's teaching, as he's 
taking care of others. And this has been a theme throughout the Bible, throughout church history, throughout, that Jesus could return at any second. That's what the Bible says. Jesus could return today before this sermon ends. The trumpet could sound. We could meet the Lord in the air. And these are our two realities that we must hold at all times. And what we're seeing here in Revelation 14 and all through this book is urgency. In Revelation, we were, not even, we were not even three verses into the book of Revelation, and it says Jesus is returning soon. Soon. It, the time is near. So the church needs to have an urgency to it. And one of the markers of the last day, according to Jesus, how do you know that you're near the return of the Lord? You want to know a clue? No one's expecting it. It will be like the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking and feasting and buying land and giving the marriage and having marriages. There's no urgency. And I'm seeing a lot less urgency today. I don't know about you. And so the return of the Lord could be at any moment. And so what I'd like to say to you briefly is as believers, we must recognize what is actually urgent and what is actually not urgent. I read a book a long time ago called The Tyranny of the Urgent. It's a great book if you want to pick it up, and it'll take you like an hour. And in the book, the author talks about the tyranny of things we classify as urgent. If you've ever had a difficult person in your life, and I'm sure that's no one in here, but if you've ever had a difficult person in your life, don't they tend to make you feel that whatever they have going on is the most important thing in your life? <laughs> well, I have a flat tire and I need you to get me right now. It's like, it's always this hair on fire and you better be there with them. With your hair even more on fire so then they can feel superior to your, you know, whatever. They're, they're the most difficult people in our life make us feel as if they, their thing is the most important thing in our life. And listen, that's tyrannical. That's unhealthy and you should set boundaries if you've got crazy people like that in your life and say, no, and let them freak out. They'll survive. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we're very dutiful. You ever, you ever know someone, they're just very dutiful. If they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. Hmm. They're going to do this, they're going to do it. But don't we, and I, you know, I was speaking to myself sometimes, you know, we can make our schedules in such a way that we have to adhere to them. <laughs> and we can become tyrants of ourselves to make no room for life, no room for joy. No, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit would probably love to do something with you, but you haven't penciled him in anywhere, you know. You ever feel God leading you to something? It's like, oh, no, 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 I'm too busy. We can come under the tyranny of our own schedules. And personally, as a pastor, you know being a pastor is a workaholic's dream? Like, I could be busy day and night with stuff, believe me. And I learned a long time ago that so many things and issues and needs present themselves as tremendously urgent in my world. And if I take the bait and treat every issue with great urgency... I will be living under the tyranny of the urgent. And I won't really get anything done. I'll just be running in circles, putting out fires. <laughs> I'm going to burn my family out. I'm not going to be near my children, and I've seen it. 
I have seen pastors run from fire after fire after fire because there are five people that will take every ounce of time that they have. And everyone else suffers in the church. So I've learned not every issue needs to be met with red-hot zeal. Not every item on my weekly planner has to get finished, has to get checked off. You know, someone called me on Friday to grab lunch, and I had a pile of work to do. And I've just felt within my spirit, let's do it, you know? And we had the best time. It was, you know, but that being said, that this also does not mean that nothing is ever urgent. Some things are and require immediate attention. Uh, You know, a few weeks ago, uh, my son felt warm, my my four-year-old, and I felt him, and he had 104 fever. And that needs immediate attention. (laughs) It needs to be met with urgency and ibuprofen. Uh, A few weeks ago, someone in the church called me with a problem that needed to get handled right away, and my world stopped. There are things that are absolutely urgent, but not everything is. And, And thinking of our topic here this morning, the return of the Lord, this is one of these events that the church and the believers need to live with a sense of urgency. That there is a sense that we need to live every day giving attention to the fact that we can meet the Lord soon. Whether it be through the rapture, a nuclear bomb, through one of China's new balloons, or... You have a heart attack from too much brisket or we, we, we must live with an urgency that we can meet the Lord soon at any moment. That there is a sense that you could die in your sleep tonight. That the Lord could return during lunch today. So yes, we, we need to play the long game. We need to be forward thinkers and make plans and put things in motion and, you know, eat clean and take care of your body, take care of your health, uh, invest in the future, have a savings account. You know, there are things you need to work towards long term. But at the same time, we must be ready now. And there has to be an urgency to it. Because we all will shortly be with the Lord in one way or another. And here's the really scary thing. A lot of people know they need to get right with God. You ever talk to someone who's not going to church and they know they should be in church? It's all the time. It's like, well, why are you in church? I don't know. Well, get in church. I don't know. They never come. It's really scary. A lot of people know they need to get right with God and they keep pushing it off and pushing it off and pushing it off for whatever reason. And when the time comes for them to meet their maker, they are unprepared. They are married to their sins. And they will hear those horrific words away from me. I never knew you. Every new wrinkle on your face, every you ever get out of bed and go, oh, every ache and pain in your body, every, every new gray hair, every lost hair is a warning. You will meet the Lord soon. Prepare yourselves. If you have sin in your life right now, repent. And the good news is you can. Repent while you can. And love the Lord. Serve the Lord. Come to him. Prepare yourself for the time is at hand. Fourthly, 
There's something in this passage we should not skip over that I have never had the pleasure to talk about, and I am ready. Creation. Oh, notice at the end of verse 7 what it says. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who, ready, who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The gospel of fear, glory, judgment and worship is all rooted in that God is the creator of all things. The fear, the repentance, the worship needed for salvation is rooted in Genesis 1. If Genesis 1-1 is real, so is the rest of the Bible. If in the beginning God (laughs) is true, then so is what follows after it. And Satan is no dummy. He knows this. And so if he attacks Genesis 1-1 for a purpose, there's a purpose. <laughs> because if Genesis 1 falls, so will the rest of the Bible. There are a lot of believers, and I want to be generous here. There are a lot of believers that hold to Darwin's theory in the Big Bang that God made a ball. But they're Christians, so they believe God made the ball that went bang. Uh, however... It's abundantly clear to me that the first two chapters of Genesis should be taken literally, that in the seven days of creation there was a literal seven days. Now, where we can leave room for this a little bit is, is why does Genesis 1 start off with the earth like a ball of water in chaos? So clearly I believe that there's room for something that happened before that big ball of water Something may have happened there, but the Bible is very clear that when God made the world as we know it, he did it in seven literal days. And I firmly believe you can be a Christian and hold to evolution, but I also believe that's a very slippery slope. Uh, And here we're seeing in chapter 14 that our worship needs to be rooted in God as creator. The good news is rooted in Genesis 1 as accurate. And if we start to tinker with God as creator, we will start to tinker with our worship. Now this, this may be puzzling. To, maybe you've never heard anything like this. Um, and, and maybe this is difficult for you to, to receive or think about. If this is, um, you know, start reading the Psalms. <laughs> You're going to realize pretty quickly how often David's worship or the psalmist's worship is derived from God as creator. And again, if you start tinkering with that, the, the Psalms become neutered. Uh, and again, there are a lot of theologians that I occasionally read that, that do not hold to a seven literal days, but they are strong believers, they're good men. But I will tell you, this is a very slippery slope, a theory and an ideology that easily begins to take the reins from God. And so as believers... Um, According to the word here, our good news, our message is rooted in God who created all things. When you start to share someone the gospel, you stand on the authority of the one who spoke and it was. (laughs) And if this is all like God made a watch and wound it up and walked away... There's a lot less power in that. 
Um, and so if this is one of those topics, maybe you want to talk to somebody about it, I'd love to talk to you about it. And we're family, and I'll be really gentle, and you can call me an idiot and walk away, and I'll still love you, no problem. Uh, but if you want to talk about the Young Adrius or the continental shifts or dinosaurs, because they're cool, we can talk about them. Dating in the pyramids, I'm ready. Just come and talk to me, and we can, we can talk. But, but very clearly, what we have to see in the scripture is this is very important. That God is the creator of all things. And we must take this seriously. And it needs to be rooted in our apologetic, in our evangelion. Now, fifthly, the message. Why is God going through any of this with these people? Thinking of Revelation 14. Well, 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Loved ones, this is something that may be very hard to receive for some of us, but is absolutely necessary. Just because you do not like what someone is saying, (laughs) or maybe just because you don't like what God is saying in his word, that does not make him wrong. Or just because you don't like the contents of a chapter in the Bible, or a message in the Bible, or a message in general, that doesn't make the message false, or not good news. Your feelings do not determine truth. I know a whole new generation of people are being raised to think the opposite. But God does not... Take counsel of your opinion of him and go, boy, I do need to change. You know, (laughs) how you feel about God does not change anything but where you stand with God. It does not sway him one way or another. Heaven is still heaven whether you're there. Worship is still worship whether you like it or not. And they, we will be there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God praise than when we first begun. Whether you're there or not. The eternal gospel, the good news that this messenger gives to the whole world, this is a very difficult message. As the gospel is in every generation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly, is foolishness, To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. God knows people hear this message. They hear the Bible. In it's true form. And think it's ridiculous. What do you mean I'm a bad person? What do you mean I'm a sinner? I saved an animal from PETA. You know or whatever. I barbecued him afterwards. No 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 but. It was a desperate time. I was angry. Um, (laughs) Some of the greatest sermons ever given ended with the crowd attempting to murder the speaker. You know how many times Jesus got done a message and they wanted to throw him off a cliff? Or Paul, they picked up stones. They had big rods and they just started beating him with it. Because he gave such a good message. (laughs) Dear ones, the the gospel, the the good news that saves is a hard message. 
It assaults your pride. The gospel declares that you are a sinner. It proclaims that you are not good enough to save yourself. It heralds God's justice and wrath and judgment. And in Revelation 14, the message was framed like this. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment is come. This is the gospel. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Fear. Normally good news doesn't begin with fear, now does it? (laughs) If I was, if you were going to write someone a good news note, would you go, be afraid? No. Glory. The good news tells you to give someone else glory. When we think of good news, we think about ourselves getting glory. I scored the winning touchdown. I did this. I did that. Bible says, no, no, no. God did it. Give him glory. Judgment. Normally the beginning of good news does not tell us that judgment is coming. Worship. The good news tells you to worship someone else, not yourself. Listen, what we, we see we see this in the life of Jesus. Was he at any bit interested in appeasing large crowds? <laughs> he was not interested in giving everyone the warm fuzzies. He was passionate about the truth. And the truth of God is not easy to our flesh. The good news doesn't always make us feel, the good news doesn't always feel like good news at first. But just because you don't like the message, it doesn't make it not true. Doesn't make it not life-saving. The truth of the eternal gospel, which Paul says in Romans 1, has the power to save. The truth of the eternal gospel is that man is in trouble because, because God is good and we are not. But that... God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. Do you hear it? Do you see the fear? Will not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's how we close. All through the Bible, God has a hard word for his people. You ever read the scriptures sometimes in the morning and it just starts kicking you? (laughs) I mean, I read the Bible some days and it kicks my butt. I'm like, I'm a sinner. You know, God forgive me. And sometimes Jesus asks us to do some really difficult things. Like to live as dead men and women for his glory. (laughs) And that word can be very difficult to take in. But if we accept it, if we accept what God says as he says it, If we can accept what God says about himself and what he says about us and believe, then the bad news becomes our good news. And not just any good news, it's the good news of great joy. That I am a sinner, but good news, Jesus came for sinners just like me. And here we are in Revelation 14 and this gospel message is a hard word in a culture that hates God. You think we have it bad now. Wait till we're in Revelation 14. The world's going to loathe God even more than it does. But even still God is desiring to save sinners. And if they will accept this message like we need to accept this message, will we be hated for it? Absolutely. 
Will we be slandered for it? Absolutely. Will we be persecuted for it? Absolutely. But make no mistake, just because someone doesn't like what you have to say, that doesn't make them right. Just because someone doesn't like what you believe, that doesn't make them right. Now does it? Well, boy, you should just be more positive. <laughs> I'm not a sinner. Jesus is. He loves. My, I would never believe in a Jesus who punishes sinners. Well, then you don't believe in Jesus. Because this is how he talks about himself. I could never believe in a God that wouldn't allow dot, dot, dot. Well, then you don't believe in God. You're exactly right. Truth is how God defines himself. And if we're going to be, genuinely follow the way, the truth, and the life, then we must genuinely follow his way and his truth and his life. The way that he describes himself. And you know what? People are going to hate you for it. And cowards are going to misunderstand you. And difficult people are going to loathe that you have no wiggle room. But that should leave us undissuaded. (laughs) Because it is not good news. It is not evangelion if the whole world thinks well of us. That is not the good news. If when you die... If they threw a parade every year in your honor and and put down a giant golden statue of you adorned in flowers every year and and children were crying because you were so wonderful. (laughs) That's not the good news. If you didn't believe in Christ, that's not a life well lived. You have failed. What good's that parade going to do you in hell? (laughs) It's, It's of no use. But to believe in God the way that he describes himself. And to believe in what God says about us the way that he says it. And to accept and believe and turn our eyes upon the Savior. There is salvation. To worship him as the creator of all things. That includes ourselves. And if we can accept the good news, not only is it good news of great joy now. What is it called in this, in this book? It is called the eternal news. <laughs> to accept the good news is to eternally be under the good news. Is to eternally partake in the good news. That know that yes, you are not worthy. But your worth is in Christ who loves you. If you accept and believe. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you. We ask that you would so be with us and strengthen us. And God, we pray that you would help us to stand firm in your truth, to stand firm in your word. God, we we ask for two things here. Help us to give your word to difficult people. And to give it lovingly and uncomprehending. Let us not water down your message. Let us love people the way that you love people. 
But at the same time, let us not build our self-worth into people's acceptance of us. <laughs> and if they reject us because they reject the truth, let us not take that personally, God. Let us just love the way that you love. And again, that, that is without end and without measure. If someone wants to throw that away, that's on them, God. Let us not feel rejected. But let us fall on our knees for them. And God, we pray that if anyone here does not know you, and maybe they've never heard anything like this. Maybe there are people here who are following Jesus because he's been the Lord of bread in their life. If they want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, and be allowed into heaven as a true child of God, then may they come to a faith in you the way that you have described it. Let them not only be stirred emotionally now, but let them follow you and let them repent and let their lives be altered from this moment forth. May they follow you fully. And God, we pray for those who are tired and and weary. We ask for rest that you may pick them up. We pray for the sick. We pray for those who are depressed and anxious. God, we ask that you would strengthen them, remind them that they have the good news. That no matter how difficult this is, no matter how many of Satan's flaming arrows they got in their back and forehead, (laughs) there is coming a time where there will be no more pain and every tear will be wiped away. Let us rejoice in that, for we are blessed among all people, for we are in your Son. We pray if anyone here needs prayer or special, uh, needs, needs to pray with somebody, we ask that they would be strong enough to go and talk to our prayer team off by the side door here, God. We pray that if someone needs, needs wisdom and counsel, they may go to a mature Christian here and, and may seek to be discipled. And may the mature desire to disciple. (laughs) And God, we, we appeal to your mercy and goodness now. Please wreak havoc on our schedules. God, we want you to have full reign in our lives. Not to cross off every single thing on our Excel spreadsheets and agendas. God, it is our life is a gift. If we are saved, that means we are here for one sole purpose, and that is to give you glory. So help us do that before you call us home. And give us the spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to understand when those interruptions come. For they are not interruptions. They are your perfect plans. We ask all these things in accordance with your will and goodness. Send us out in power now. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary, Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.